Well, hello there. My name is Jan Burt, and this is my podcast, The Burt Not Ernie Show, where we talk about God's promises and the hope those promises bring to our everyday lives. Whenever I meet somebody new, I introduce myself as Jan Burt and say, like Burt and Ernie, since it's easy to confuse my last name with a different one. And almost always, people smile when they think of Burt and Ernie. That got me thinking. I'm a Burt, and I'm not an Ernie. But how often do we live as if we're someone God never meant for us to be? Part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Hence the name, The Burt Not Ernie Show. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into God's promises. Well, hey there. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode. We are actually listening to episode number 172 today on the podcast. That is amazing to me. How have we gotten to 172 episodes I didn't do it alone, so thank you very much for being part of the show. Uh, I wanted to share really quickly about a resource that um, I know you probably heard of it. They're these really pretty, they're chalkboard-themed kind of prayer journals that have been on Amazon. Like, if you search prayer journal, it's the number one thing that pops up on Amazon, and it has been number one for a long time. Um, Shannon uh, created them. They are beautiful, and she has kind of added something. You might call it a compliment, complimentary type of a project, a partner partner item. I'm not exactly sure what you call these, like a, an additional something to go with it. And it's a planner, an annual planner, but it's a prayer planner. It's got the same beautiful kind of theming to it where it's this chalkboard art. It's really pretty. So I'm going to go ahead and share um, a link to that in the show notes if you'd like to look at it and check it out. I was super duper blessed. I won a free prayer planner from her in an Instagram giveaway, I was tickled pink. I squealed when I found out that I was a winner uh, because I love her prayer journal. I love the style of it. And for me, having like, um, gosh, it's just really good. You could use the layout like with sticky notes on top of things and then write things in the boxes. The boxes are just right for sticky notes. If you know me in real life, then you've heard me talk about sticky notes and how I use them. I just love them. They're super useful. Um, I actually could probably do a little teaching on how to use sticky notes in a variety of ways. And I'm actually going to do that, probably put it on my YouTube now that I think about it. But anyway, this is like, so you got your planner and your prayers in one place. And you can go back at the end of the year and see all the prayers that God answered. I like having it in one place. If I put my prayers in my daily Bible study journal, they kind of get lost in all of the shuffle of the notes and the things that I take. This just has my prayers. I can't thank God if I don't really realize that that thing I prayed for Six months ago, he answered. So this has a place to list your prayer requests and then monthly prayer requests and weekly things you're praying about. It's really great. I hope you'll take a look at it. I thank you, Shannon, for creating it. It is really, it's pretty. It's just pretty. And pretty stuff. I like pretty things. I'm sure you do too. Okay, so uh, that is kind of the housekeeping for today's episode. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and um, also mention that if you would like to get on my email list where I send out links to new episodes of both my podcast, The Burt Not Ernie Show and The Prayer Podcast, uh, that's pretty much all I send out. Once in a while, I also will let you know where I'm speaking online or in person. And I do giveaways now and then. But Every week, it's just, here's the links. Lord bless you, praying for you. That's about it, the end. So if you'd like to do that, I'm going to go ahead and put a link for um, a way that you can get on the email list and also get a little free freebie uh, download, a gift from me when you sign up. So that will be in the show notes as well. Okay. Um, oh, last thing. Golly, I do have a lot of housekeeping today. The Psalm 91 course that came out a couple of years ago that I worked on, I'm going to be adding 
some new things, uh, making some, I'm not really making changes. I'm going to add some, some additional things, uh, because the state of the world is changing. And I just think it could be really encouraging. We see war going on in, in the Middle East and things are just like, eh, you got that, that guy from, uh, from NATO saying that Sweden is making the right choices and telling its people to be prepared to survive in times of war and that everyone in the West needs to pay attention to this. These are not scare tactics. This is like, this is what's happening in the news. And for the child of God, it just is like, oh, I see that in my Bible. I, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Signs of the times, right? It's what Jesus told us to be paying attention to. But I think it could be encouraging to have something a little extra to the Psalm 91 course. It's an audio course. Uh, it's it, You can watch the videos, but they're really just audio based. So the video's super boring. There's nothing to see. There's no slide deck. It's just to make it like so you can play it anywhere because some places, yeah, you know what I'm getting at. It has to be playable everywhere and movable onto all the different platforms. So I had to give it a video based to an audio based course. All that to say, I'm going to be adding some things that I think could be encouraging for where we're at right now, currently in the world. Uh, and the price is going to go back up. I've kept it down low at like rock bottom. It's like a, it's like a, a nine session course with downloadable content. I put a lot of time and effort into it and I've had it at $7 for a long time. It's going to have to bump, bump back up to where it's supposed to be. It's probably going to be closer to the $35 uh, range and I'm going to add some things to it, but I'll put the link there in case anybody would like to get it while it's still $7 because I'm going to be moving that price back up very soon. Probably, I don't even know if I'll make it to the end of January before I move it back up because I've got some new things going on that I'm going to be adding to it. And anyway, just wanted to put that out there. That is all the housekeeping. We are now going to get back to the actual podcast. We are in the Every Book a Promise series that we've been working through for a minute now, and we are still in the Old Testament, but today we're looking at the book of Job. This is huge. This is huge. When I began looking forward and like, oh, we're going to get to Job, it was like, Lord, you're going to have to lead and guide me on this one because this is this is a book of the Bible that everybody knows about in the Christian community, at least probably does, and it doesn't necessarily feel like it's the happiest book in the world when it comes to the 66 books of the Bible. And I wanted to be able to encourage listeners when we talk about Job, but also speak the truth about the hard things in this book. And it does have a lot of hard things. So here we are in Job. First of all, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, chapter one. Um, let's. I'm just going to read verse one, first of all. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. I almost started to read that the exact same way I read uh, a little storybook to our kids about the book of Job. I found myself that there once was a man named Job. So yeah, that definitely is my, you wonder how I read to my kids. It was just like that. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. All right. Right off the get-go, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be straight up honest. My prayer for myself, for my husband, for my five children, for my grandson, uh, for any future grandchildren I'll have, for the local church, and for the whole of Jesus' church all around the world, like all of us, uh, that, this is how I pray. I have prayed that this verse would be true of us, that we would be blameless, have complete integrity, that we would fear God and stay away from evil. Can you imagine how the world would be changed if by the power of the Holy Spirit, this verse, Job 1.1, became true of the body of Christ? 
It would be like a beautiful way of seeing Matthew 6.33 lived out for real every day. Like in real time, here it is. Here's what it is, the ideal like Christian community for the world to see. Yeah, that would be amazing. Okay, verses 6 through 12 of Job chapter 1, staying with the New Living Translation. One day the members of the heavenly court, okay, there's something for you to think about. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser, okay, I'm going to stop right here. Accuser here is capitalized. It's a name. This is a proper noun. The accuser, that is one of Satan's actual names. It's not just an adjective to describe him, but as a proper, as his name, it's who he actually is. It doesn't just describe him, it's who he is. So he can't be different than who he is. So when you feel like you're being accused, stop and think about that. It could just be the accuser. Don't be surprised when Satan accuses you. It's not just a now and then adjective to describe him. It's who he actually is. And the accuser, Satan, came with them, with the heavenly court to present themselves before the Lord. The accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Okay, very interesting. Patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. There's a lot here in the book of Job. Uh, Man, there's so much here. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes. Yeah, so he's agreeing, right? He's agreeing. Yep, you're right, Lord. All that's true about Job. Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. Sometimes when we pray a hedge of protection around people, uh, we might hear that when somebody is praying uh, and we might not know where it came from. It's actually very biblical. It's right here in Job. I mean, Satan says to him, You have always put a wall of protection around Job and his home and his property. This is how Satan answers the Lord. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. This is is the accuser accusing Job of something that Job had not done. Think about that. That's going to happen to us at times in life, somebody might be accusing you of something you haven't done, and it may not be their idea. It might be the accuser, capital A accuser, Satan, whispering it in their ear. He did it to Job. We can't expect that it'll never happen to us. We should expect it to happen. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Okay, So we learned some things here. Satan is patrolling the earth. He's always watching, always paying attention. You need to know that. He doesn't take days off. You need to know that. You need to be aware of that. He's always ready to accuse. You need to know that. And that he will sometimes be given a leash to do things. You need to know that. Now we're going to jump down to verses 21 and 22 of the book of Job. 
chapter one. So still in chapter one, just jumping down a few verses. Um, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to start. I'm going to go ahead and start at verse 20, 20, 21 and 22, chapter one of Job. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. So this is after all of the horrible things have happened, right? His health hasn't been harmed, but everything else, God said Satan could, could just go take away from him. Uh, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground to worship. Tore his robe in grief, shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship, not to complain, not to, not to freak out, not to give up on life, but to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Can you let that sink in for a moment? This is profound. This is profound. This is quite a response from a man who in one day, a single solitary day. So like you could even think of it as sunrise to sunset. It may have been like, like that portion of the day you know, the day, like the work day, the day, not even 24 hours, like sunrise to sunset. Think of the news that Job got. All of your children, they are dead. All of them. All of your livestock, gone, stolen, destroyed. All of your farm land and property, everything is ruined. Everything is gone. Your children have all perished. All of it. The vastness of your life's work, all your hopes and dreams for your children and your descendants, um, all everything that you've poured into, the things that you love most, your family and everything else in addition, gone, G-O-N-E, gone. This is unfathomable, oh man, I stuttered over that. I sounded just like Megamind where you couldn't say unfathomable, unfathomable. I don't know if you've seen that children's movie, but it's actually hilarious. This is unfathomable grief, a moment we see in a life it's pure pain. This moment is pure pain. We get this window into Job's life and we see pure pain. What's Job's response? Pure worship of the Lord God Almighty right there in the face of pure pain. So as the book of Job progresses and continues, uh, we, we find that Job's friends, they come to him and they first sit next to him in total silence, the Bible says, for seven days. They're just with him. They're supporting him. They're just there with him in silence. What a picture of, of grief and being with someone at their very lowest moment in life. And Job, um, he did begin to have physical affliction at the hands of Satan. There's like a little bit more that comes with that. I'll let you read it. I'm not going to read all of Job. It's 42 chapters. But um, at the hands of Satan, he does get permission to afflict Job physically. So in addition to all else he had lost, he's like sitting in a ditch in every sense of the word. He's sitting in a ditch with his friends. He's sitting in a ditch with his grief. He's sitting in a ditch with his physical pain. He's sitting in his di- in a ditch where his life's work is just gone and everything seems to be like if you add it all up, it amounts to a, not even a hill of beans. Like he's sitting in a ditch in every sense of his life. Life in the ditch is hard. Have you been there? Are you there today? Life in a ditch in every single part of your life, all at the same time. This is where Job found himself of no fault of his own. Remember what we heard in verse one. He was blameless. Verse one 
of the first chapter of Job. God says he's blameless, and so he was blameless. And the accuser gained access to Job's life to do anything to him but slay him. Like, even though he could afflict afflict him at this point physically, he couldn't kill him, right? So he was blameless, and yet the accuser, Satan, gained this level of access to his life. Revelation talks of a day when men will wish for death, but they won't be able to die. They'll wish for it, but it will not come. They'll continue to live when they just so much would rather die instead. There are times, there are seasons when living, when continuing to keep on living, when living and living and living and choosing to keep on living for Jesus, it seems like it's the hardest thing, that dying, that would be much preferred. It would be so much easier. For the Christian, that is absolutely, it can be true. It can be true. Going on to be with the Lord would, of course, be easier than a lot of aspects of living through very hard times. Like, it's just the truth. Are you in that kind of a season? I I feel you. Oh, I feel you. I grieve with you. I have been praying about this episode and praying for those of you who will listen and who are in one of those kinds of seasons. I've prayed as I've been working on this, prayed for you with just like a, ah, a heaviness on my heart for you. This is a show. This is an episode that feels heavy. It just does. It bears some weight. And I have been feeling the weight of it like the last week or so. Job paints a picture, the book of Job. It paints a picture of, well, a reality. It's not a pretend fiction work. It's like a reality, a reality check, a reality picture that seems to be so contrary to who God is and how he does things, doesn't it? If we're honest and we've studied Job, we can say, boy, this is just, I have trouble with this because I thought that this is who God was. And then this just like throws a monkey wrench and what, I don't get it. It's contrary to who we think God is and how he does things. And Job's friends, they started out so well. They cared enough to sit in silence with him in his very deep grief. And it was deep. It was terribly deep grief. But then there came a point where they just couldn't keep quiet any longer. They didn't take hold of their tongues, you know, like hold your tongue. Like you got to take hold of it. James, the book of James talks about the tongue is like a, a, a ship, a rudder ship that it can steer the whole boat. It's a little thing that can steer it any way it wants to. And that controlling it is like one of the hardest things we'll ever do in our life. So taking hold of your tongue is hard. They They held their tongue for seven days, but then they just didn't keep holding their tongues. And out came some things that seem like they're totally true, that seem like they're totally true. Their explanations, how they talk about God. These things are not like, these aren't aren't really what we would think of as being blasphemous or slandering God. It seems to be like they're on God's side. They're defending him. They're representing him uh, rightly. Okay, well, it's worth noting that sometimes we're all busy, busy, busy about defending God, and God does not need us to defend him. I'll tell you that straight up. If there's one thing I have learned in my life as a Christian, um, he can defend himself. If you are in a in a spitting war battle with somebody who just wants to uh, defame and blaspheme God, you know, you don't 
There's a, there's a lot of reasons why it may not be best to continue the argument. One of which is that the more they speak against God, the more they're going to have to give an account for when this life ends for them. And sometimes it's an act of grace to bite your tongue and stop engaging with them. So they will stop saying, especially if it's on like a public type of forum, things that they're going to be held accountable for. Sometimes God will say, just don't, don't fight that fight. But the reality is he does not need us to explain him. In this situation, I'm going to go to you and the best I can do for you is to explain who God is and why this happened and explain it away in a sense and defend him. They they should have kept quiet and there are times when we need to keep quiet longer than we are and there are times to speak up. But I think you get the point I'm making. Sometimes we end up over talking when we should probably just let God be God. And he is who he is. And he doesn't need us out there trying to make sure that it's all smoothed over and everybody's okay with who God is. They didn't hold their tongues. Some stuff came out that seems like it was totally true. Things like Job must be a deep, dark, secret sinner, or this just never would have happened to him because this is too much and it's all at once. And it seems like it's God punishing him and disciplining him. Yep. All that seems to make sense. Wouldn't you ask that question? Like, how is it possible for all of this to happen? to that person that I thought was so like, you know, living right, blameless before God. Yeah, this is a good reminder for us to stop, check ourselves, and maybe don't even ask necessarily that question. It's not always going to give us the answer that's true. Uh, My husband recently said this, that Job's friends, they knew about God. They knew about God's character and so on, but they didn't really know Job or Job's heart or fully know Job's character. And that's a good way to look at it. They knew what they knew and they didn't know what they didn't know. God looks at the heart, it says in 1 Samuel, while man looks at the outward appearance. This is not just about clothes and hair and style and the drip. It's about all that we cannot see and all that God can fully see. So when God says accuser, when God says accuser, Satan accuser, have you considered my servant? When God says that, there's no mistake in that, my friend. Is there pain in it? Oh, yeah, there certainly can be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Will you possibly be misunderstood and maybe even maligned by dear friends? Like the ones that you thought they got you. This is these people. This is my crew. This is my ride or die. All of a sudden, they don't get you. And they have left you to die instead of being your ride or die. Like, And they're accusing you on their ride right on out of your life. That's pain on top of pain on top of pain. Some of you are dealing with this right now. Look, here's the reality. We're living in the last days. Like it or not, take it or leave it. That's just the way it is. Look, uh, read your Bible and you'll see that it's true. There are a lot of people who don't think that's true, though. They don't think these are the last days. They just don't. Um, And I guess that's okay because... It shouldn't be surprising because Jesus and Paul said that one of the signs of the times of the very last days would be that many who profess to be believers, many Christians, Christ followers, disciples, they would not know what time it is on the kingdom calendar. And they would say, nope, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. I shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised because we were told that that's exactly how it would play out, even though every single bit of, of of what's happening in the world 
is is happening play by play, exactly as Jesus said it would, exactly as, you know, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, exactly as the word of God said, that's how it's playing out. So those that don't think it's the last days, I do want to issue a little bit of a challenge to you if you happen to be listening, if you haven't like skipped out and said, I'm out, not listening anymore. Like I want to, I want to kind of challenge you to really read what the New Testament says about end times. You can look at Luke 12, you could look at uh, Luke 21, you could look at Matthew 24, those come to mind real quick, uh, First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, look at what the New Testament says about end times and just see if maybe you might be among those who don't believe but think they're full-on believers. Because if we say we believe, but then we read the Bible and we say, but that part I don't believe applies to right now. I can see it's happening exactly as Jesus said it would but I don't believe that that's what time it is. You're not a believer if you don't believe. Like, And I'm not judging anybody's salvation. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, we don't get to pick and choose what parts of the Bible are true on any given Sunday. This isn't football. This isn't the NFL where on any given Sunday, any team can win. There is one winning team. It's team Jesus because Jesus won it all. It's already been procured. When he said it is finished, it is. When we pray and we struggle and we endure and we fight through things, it's from victory, not for victory. He secured it. We didn't. We are just missing it at times when we really do decide that, yeah, the Bible says that, but that's not. And yeah, that's what's happening right now. It's exactly like, yeah, but it's not time yet. But it's not time yet. No, no, no. It's not time yet. Oh, I really want to challenge you on that. I really want to challenge you on that. This is not going to make people happy, me saying this. I know that, and that's okay. Cages will be rattled. That's all right, though, because it's not me coming up with gobbledygook nonsense. It's, it's in the pages of the Bible. I didn't invent this. It's in the Word of God. When I see something on the news and it aligns perfectly with the Bible end times prophecy, I didn't invent the prophecy And I didn't make that certain thing happen on the other side of the globe or right here in my own nation. I just saw it and filtered it through the word of God. I saw that it happened. I read the news article and I filtered it through the word of God. We all need to do that. I think we can agree. We all need to do that. If we're not longing for his appearing, we're probably loving the world too much. And the book of 1 John ought to be in our Bible reading, the very day, I'm talking about the moment that we realize we out here loving the world and we're loving our little old lives in this ratty old ragtag garbage can world too much. I mean it. If we are not longing for Jesus's appearing as we are told in the New Testament, we, we ought to be, we should be, we, we must be, quite frankly, then we probably are loving the world and our broken down lives in this broken down world too much. And we need to open up First John and we need to read it and we need to read it. It's a short book, but read it. But I would say, um, I, w- I would say this, I guess this is part of my challenge to you, continuing a little bit farther. If you doubt that it is the end times, if you think perhaps it is, this is a practice run for Satan, that's funny right there. He's doing, I mean, let's think about it. Read it and then tell me where practice run is mentioned. It's not really. Okay. Listen, if you doubt it's the end times, will you read first John and pray before you read it and just ask the Lord to show you any part of yourself that is loving the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, Now, if you hear me say that and you're like, nah, that's not really my problem. Blessed of flesh, blessed of the eyes, pride of life. That's not really, I don't really have those issues. So I don't really need to 
pray about this or read first John and I don't think it's the end times and this doesn't apply to me, Jan. So there, okay. All right. Well, can you read it in the new living translation? Because here's how it, it puts it in the NLT. First John chapter two, verses 15, 16, and 17. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the father in you. When you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away. Okay, uh, this is cutting to the quick a little bit, isn't it? This world is fading away along with everything that people crave. Achievements? possessions, pride in our achievements. If you love in the world, the love of the Father is not in you. What is this actually saying? If you are proud of your achievements and proud of your possessions and you crave the things you see and you want a relaxed, easy, cheesy kind of a life, it says the love of the Father is not in you. I'm sorry, that's what it says. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what it says. These are not from the Father are from this world and this world is fading away along with everything not some things not most things not oh this I shouldn't be craving this but it's really not so bad so no it's all fading away it's going to burn my friend everything that people crave but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever Uh, look we have got to figure out what pleases God and do it because we want to live forever I'm not saying we earn our salvation. We all know I don't believe that. If you've listened to me for more than 1.2 seconds, you know Jesus did it all. I did zero. Everything I have, I've received by grace. But I darn well better get myself on board with the life trade I made. I am not my own. I was bought with a price, and I need to do what pleases the Lord. I take the Word of God seriously, all of it, the whole counsel of the Word of God, and I want every single Christian to do the same. Do you love what the world offers you? then you do not have the love of the Father in you. And you're not going to be able to see what time it really is. The setup is all in place. Okay, if you just really did some looking, like actually did something productive, not just a mindless scroll on Instagram, but really did some looking at news outlets, maybe from different parts of the world. In the last week alone, how many earthquakes did we have? What happened in the Middle East as far as the countries that are like mentioned specifically in the Bible? What's going on over there? Uh, What's going on with, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, we now have 10 kings who are enthroned in what was the Roman Empire. Is that, wait a minute. Is that the 10 horns in Revelation? Is that the 10 toes in Danny? Is it possible? This, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, things are moving along. Tick, tick, tick. The setup is in place. But when we love the world, we cannot see what's actually happening clearly. We are blinded. We've got spiritual cataracts. We're craving things. We're taking pride in our achievements. We're focused on our possessions. That's not from the Father. It's not from Him. Take pause and read 1 John chapter 2 and pray. The time for getting serious, the time to stop playing patty cake with the world, it's now. It's today. Please don't miss this moment. Please don't miss this moment. Job chapter 40 verses 1 through 5. Then the Lord said to Job. Now this is God speaking to Job. Okay. He's hearing from the Lord. In whatever way God did that, 
you know, if it's through the angel of the Lord, it just says the Lord is speaking to Job. Seriously, how do we listen when God speaks to us? Do we pay attention? We might think, oh, I'd be listening if I were if I were Job and the Lord's talking to me. He talks to us every day through his word and we have a spirit within us as uh, his guaranteed seal of what is to come. So he's willing to talk. Are we willing to listen? Let's see. We need to respond the way that Job responds here. Then the Lord said to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? Oh, oh, Job's arguing with God. And I don't think he knew he was arguing with God. Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. That is how a righteous person responds when God speaks. Hand over mouth, confessing that I don't know anything. I'm the clay, God's the potter, and I need to be silent. I need to stop clapping back. Even what doesn't seem like back talk to us. Because you read all of Job and find where you feel like he's like full on arguing with the Almighty. You'll find some things you go right there. But for the most part, God's the one that said Job was blameless, right? All the way back in chapter one, verse one. Sometimes we don't even realize that what doesn't seem like back talk to us, it's us clapping back at God in light of his holiness. I mean, think about that. Job was blameless, said God. And Job was acting like God's critic, said God. Same God said both things about Job. Clap our hands over our mouths instead of clapping back with our words. Sometimes we need to just shut it, zip it, be in awe of his holiness, and simply be still. When is the last time you really put that into practice? Be still and know that he is God. Today sounds like a good day to do that. How far removed from this stance is our modern church as a whole? I live in America. A lot of my listeners live all over the world in different places. So it may not be the same for you. And I'm thankful if it isn't because in America, we are a comfy church. And it's not really to our benefit or to God's glory. The age of grace has in many ways left us bratty, blind to God's holiness welcoming all sorts of filth into our hearts and our minds and our homes and our families, and we take it into the pews on Sunday morning, and that ought not to be. Denying his word by what we say, the things we post on social media, where we spend our time, what we focus on. But beyond that, sometimes the very place that God's word is denied is in the pulpit. Yeah, we know it's on our, on our screens. We know we don't always speak words that are God-honoring. We know we don't think perfect thoughts all the time. But when it's in the pulpit, that's sad. That's really sad. God is holy. How did his church get to this point where we, we forgot that? How did God's church come to forget the truth that God is holy? Job 42, verses 1 and 2. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. I'm going to read that again, because oh, how we need to remember this. 
Then Job replied to the Lord, I know. Do you know this? I hope you know this. You need to know this. I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. This is a promise we need to stand on. God can do anything and no one can stop him. It's a promise. It's a fact, Jack. It's truth. We need to be humble before our God, the one who can do anything, the one who cannot be stopped by anyone. We need to be humble before him. Verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 of Job chapter 42, still in the New Living Translation. I had only heard about you before. And the you there is capitalized, is talking about God. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Job experienced something that he hadn't experienced before. It's next level. He leveled up. Like God revealed things to him he did not know about God. He went from, I've heard about you to, I've seen you. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Okay, when's the last time you and I did that? That's a good question. You might think, oh, that's just in the culture thing. Oh, it's about a hard attitude. If we so quickly brush it away with, oh, that was just cultural. We don't do that anymore. Yeah, that tells me we probably don't ever in our heart and our mind and our attitude sit in dust and ashes and show our repentance and have a desire to just take back everything we ever said. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you. This is God speaking. I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve. For you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. This is profound. When we put all of this together and that here's what God said to Job and then here's what what God says to Eliphaz, Job's friend who didn't speak rightly, but also Job didn't speak rightly. We cannot wrap our minds around how holy God is, is what we really need to take away from the book of Job. We don't get it. And we need to figure out if we're ever going to even bother to try to get it. Think about this. This is about to get real. Did you hear what I just read from Job 42? You have not spoken accurately about me, says God. Listen up, my friends. If I lost you somewhere along the way, I need you to listen. Because if you attend church anywhere on on any given Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday night, I need you to listen. This is important. God says this. You have not spoken accurately about me. You have not spoken accurately about me. And punishment was deserved. It was well earned because of this not speaking accurately about God. I'm a podcaster who talks about God on both shows. This hits home big time. This cuts deep. This is beyond serious for me personally. And by golly, it needs to be taken seriously by every single person who writes who posts on social media, who blogs, who uh, indie publishes or traditional publishes books, who podcasts, who speaks to groups, online speakers, in-person speakers on YouTube, TikTok, Reels. You'd lead that small group. You lead that mom's group. You lead that men's group. 
you attend that group and you speak up pretty much every week. Every pastor in every pulpit. We have got to stop joking around about holy things. Because in this book of Job, they weren't joking around. They were really saying things that we would feel like is pretty, pretty root and toot and holy. They've got it figured out. And yet God says, you have not spoken accurately about me. And we joke about it. We make jokes about it. How much more trouble are we in? We're in deep. I'll tell you, that's where we're at. We're in trouble and we don't even recognize it. If you joke about, say, the blood of Jesus, oh, you better open up 1 Peter chapter 1 and read it and read it what the blood of Jesus really is. If you joke about the blood of Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? Read the final chapter of Job and ask yourself, what am I doing? I'm not kidding around here. I'm getting awfully fired up. This is important. This is important. Take it back, my friend. Take back all those things you've said and sit in dust and ashes and show your genuine repentance. God is holy. None of that stuff is fitting for a minister of the gospel of peace. It just isn't. And if I just stepped on your toes, well, good. You needed it then. Did you feel that? Did it smart? Was it painful? Did it offend you? Then you needed to feel it. You needed to wince. You needed to be offended. If it offended you, you probably needed to be offended. Now, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to message me and tell me that you're upset? Or are you going to go work this thing out with God? Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, We need to get busy about that. I'll tell you what. I don't speak with platitudes. If you know me, then you know that's true. So you can be offended at me all day long. Who cares? What does that matter? What am I? I'm like an ant. doesn't matter, right? Be offended. Be upset. That's fine. But do not be offended by the word of God. Do not be offended at the things of the Lord and stop making jokes. That is mockery. It's mocking. It means making a mockery of things. When you make jokes about things that are holy, you're making a mockery of things that are holy. And there are a handful of things that are truly holy. And the blood of Jesus is one of them. There is a holy fire purge coming on the church. It's God's church. It's Jesus's church. The Christian church bears the name of Christ. It's his. In case you haven't noticed, there's a purge, a holy fire purge coming. It's here. It's happening. This thing known as the great falling away for those who are like, we're not in the last days. Then why is the great falling away happening? Explain, riddle me this, you know, you can't explain it away. It's happening. If you haven't noticed, you need to notice. God is doing a cleansing work in his church. It's his church. Let him do it. If you need to repent, get busy about it. Don't put it off. Repent. And newsflash, we all need to repent. Every single one of us. The one who claims he has no sin is deceiving himself. And the truth is not in him. That's 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. The one who claims he has no sin is deceiving himself. And the truth is not in him. We all need to repent. There isn't enough time left to keep goofing off. There just isn't. God will have a pure bride. Do you understand that? God will have a pure bride. The bride, that's his church. That's us. He wants a pure bride and he's going to get it. He's working on that right now. Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. That's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. Judgment doesn't begin out there with the wickedness 
um, on Epstein Island or, uh, you know, I don't know, you name it. It doesn't begin out there. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. What kind of conviction does that bring to you right now? Compare yourself to Epstein Island type people. Think about yourself as part of the church and realize where does judgment begin? Not over there, right here in the house of the Lord. Are you seeing this happening? I am. Are you feeling the heat of it? You should be. It's time to repent like Job did. As Job's friends had to do in order to avoid the treatment that they deserved. They had it coming and going and so do you and I. Verse 8 of Job 42 says they deserved serious disciplinary treatment from God. Do you take God in his word seriously enough to do what it says? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, if not, why not? If not now, when? Repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. A lampstand can be taken away. That's what the book of Revelation makes super duper clear. We are not in the age of grace and then somehow just like exempt. I'm in the age of grace. I don't want to ever hear that kind of an excuse uh, in my own thought life or for hopefully from anybody else like that we're in the age of grace. And so I'm exempt from, you know, trying to really be holy. Oh, I'm going to tell you what. No, we are not. We should strive to be holy, even as our Lord is holy. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit instead of grieving him. A fear of a holy God demands this. Today is the day. Now is the time. So please, simply do what the Bible says. Don't just read it, but read it and do it. Do what it says. That's also something stated very clearly in the book of James. We are told to read it and do it, not just to read it and deceive ourselves. The Word of God has a lot to say about how we deceive ourselves, and it's speaking to those who follow Jesus. So we need to pay attention and listen and see, oh, per the Word of God, am I deceiving myself? And if so, get that right. Repent and yield to the Holy Spirit. This is the day to get our houses in order because time's almost up. Tick, 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 tick. Time's almost up. And we are all about to meet our holy, righteous judge very, very soon. Let's be ready, because our redemption draweth nigh. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of the Burt Not Ernie Show. It's an honor and a blessing to talk about God's promises with you. Have a fabulous day, and remember, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Lord bless. I'll see you next time.